You're listening to 91.3 WISO, building a more informed community with independent news and storytelling. I'm Jerry Kenny. It's 10 o'clock and time for WISO Weekend. Thanks for joining us this Sunday morning. Our program today is a celebration of pride. And in the show, we're going to hear from people in the Dayton area, proud of who they are and each with a story to tell. First, a recap of what's happened this month in the way of LGBTQ rights. In mid-June, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people in the workplace. Advocates in Ohio were celebrating the ruling. State House correspondent Andy Chow reports. The Supreme Court ruled that the protections against discrimination based on sex and the Civil Rights Act should also be applied to sexual orientation and gender identity. Ohio's Dave Yost was among 15 attorneys general who joined the Trump administration opposing that. Elena Jokum with Equality Ohio says this ruling sends the message that the Supreme Court sees LGBTQ people. That our laws have protected and should be clearly interpreted to fully protect LGBTQ folks across the country. And that this is a human rights issue, not a partisan issue. Jokum and other activists are still pushing for a bill called the Ohio Fairness Act to extend these protections to housing and public accommodations. Andy Chow at the Ohio Public Radio State House News Bureau. WCPN's Taylor Haggerty also reported on the SCOTUS decision and offered more reaction to it. Democratic State Senator Nikki Antonio of Lakewood says the Supreme Court's decision is significant, but more needs to be done. We can celebrate today, but we have a lot of work to do before the citizens of Ohio and this country that are in the LGBT community feel that they are fully citizens. Antonio says that includes the passage of the Ohio Fairness Act, which would amend state code to provide more protections for LGBTQ people in the public sphere. The Senate version of the bill was referred to the Judiciary Committee last year. For Ohio Public Radio, I'm Taylor Haggerty. And it's worth noting that numerous reports that follow the Supreme Court decision say that it could have broader implications for the military and transgender service members. Dayton's annual Pride celebration, which normally takes place in June, has been postponed until August because of the coronavirus pandemic. Today we hear from R.J. McKay, president of the Dayton LGBT Center, about the move and possible outcomes for the event. We uh, have moved the event picked up pretty much the entire thing and moved it to the third weekend in August. So it's going to be August 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Right now, we are planning on holding Pride as we normally have it, including the affair on the square Friday night, um, the parade on Saturday, and the festival on Sunday, uh, as well as the kickball on Sunday. But it is determined based on Governor DeWine and the health department and kind of what we're allowed to do. And what have you heard from the community in just the last few months about all of this? It's really been a mixed bag of reactions. Um, There's a lot of folks that are ready to get back out and about and to hold pride and to celebrate uh, their true selves at a pride event here in Dayton. Uh, But there's also a lot of people that are still nervous. And uh, depending on how COVID-19 continues, um, they may or may not be venturing out in the near future. So we have gotten both sides of 
the coin, so to speak, and uh, we are looking into doing some sort of virtual pride uh, or digitizing the events so that uh, whether it be a live stream on Facebook or some other uh, DATV broadcasting it, then uh, you know we're, we're looking into options so that we can serve everybody. And let's talk briefly about Columbus, which you gave me the heads up on. They had postponed their uh, June celebration, usually in late June, to October, I believe. And now they have all out canceled, but may still hold a parade. Is that your understanding? Yeah, from the statement that just came out uh, recently, uh, it, it appears that the festival itself is either going to be canceled altogether or uh, much, much, much smaller than, than normal. Um, the parade, I believe, is still uh, going to be held. But again, it's it's very early. That statement just came out. So I really haven't had time to touch base with any colleagues in Columbus to find out what their exact plans are at this time. Um, and depending on what their plan is, obviously being a, a month uh, beyond uh, what we are currently scheduling Dayton Pride for, um, that may play into the planning uh, of the Dayton Pride in August. Which is still at risk of cancellation? Well, it, it really does depend on what we're allowed to do. I mean, if, if the parades and festivals are still legally not allowed to be held, then we're not going to uh, go break the law. Uh, but um, if we're allowed to hold them we may have some sort of smaller Pride Festival. We may have the regular Pride Festival. Uh, we're, we're not 100% sure, uh, depending on what the state says. You know, right now we are planning our, our regular Pride festivities um, in the hopes that we will be able to, to hold them. Uh, but again, depending on how everything goes, we may have to limit or cut back or go totally virtual. Um, but we're uh, keeping an eye to uh, the future and we know how important pride is for the community and, and people being able to get out and celebrate. Let's remove the pandemic for a moment and some of the other big issues that are at play at this time. And assess for us, if you can, the state of the LGBT community here in the Dayton area. I, I think the state of the LGBT community in the Dayton area is still strong. Um, you know, we have some factions that are more visible or stronger than others, but we, we need to remember to bring all of our LGBTQIA brothers and sisters along in our journey, especially during Pride Month. I think that Pride is a huge month to be celebrated, and uh, a lot of people really are getting in on it. Um, for better or for worse, depending on your view, a lot of companies are getting behind Pride, and uh, you know, companies are still building uh, employee resource groups and pride groups within their own companies, especially here in Dayton. So as we become and, and are able to continue to be visible, you know, with the big court ruling that we had this month, I mean, that propelled the feeling of pride and that propelled people to at least virtually post uh, lots of affirming messages. Um, and it really shows that, that the United States, at least Portions of the government and portions of the country are really behind and support the greater LGBTQIA community. Great. And you mentioned increasing corporate uh, sponsorship, lots of businesses and corporations getting behind uh, certainly the Dayton event. Just give us a brief comment about how that support has grown in just the last few years. Yeah, we've seen a lot of uh, local Dayton or regional Dayton companies really step up and want to be involved. 
Um, I think that they've realized that not only is it a good marketing tool, but it is also showing their support for the community that they work in. But it also helps to uh, provide uh, employee morale and show to their employees that they're willing to not just talk the talk, so to speak. You know, these companies are actually willing to put some money behind their diversity programs. RJ McKay with the Dayton LGBT Center. RJ, thanks for your time and good luck with the event in August. You're welcome. Thank you, Jerry. Well, Dayton's annual Pride celebration may come a little late this summer, but it's still June, and this week, WISO is bringing you stories of Pride from local residents. When Dan and Nancy Tepfer's daughter came out to them in 1993, they were shocked. While they had always considered themselves enlightened individuals when it came to gay people, they say it took some time for them to accept their daughter's news. Connecting what our heads knew and what our hearts felt took some time. Worried that their daughter would think they were embarrassed or ashamed of her, they pushed themselves to move from their initial fear to acceptance and eventually to activism. Dan and Nancy soon became involved in the local chapter of PFLAG, an advocacy and support organization for LGBTQ people. Nancy's been the local chapter president, and Dan, a retired military colonel, has not only been the local chapter president, he's served on the regional and national PFLAG boards as well. In this conversation, the Tepfers talk about their decades of activism. So, Dan, of all your involvement, local, state, and national, with PFLAG, what was the most meaningful for you? Well, I'd say at the local level, uh, early on, right after I joined PFLAG, uh, being a at-large member, uh, I was assigned the task of uh, creating a scholarship program for PFLAG people. There were very few scholarships at PFLAG chapters. Uh, Cincinnati had one, and there was one in Houston. So I contacted them and, and learned what they did, got copies of their programs, uh, and we created a scholarship here in Dayton. In fact, we were the first PFLAG chapter to designate one scholarship for a straight ally. We wanted to bring in people who would support us, and so we did. Our very first scholarship went to a high school senior uh, who was a straight ally. But I think it was at the national level I did my most meaningful work. It was on the work I did for the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Again, because I was the only retired military member on the national board, I was asked if I would speak at the Capitol Steps in Washington on the repealing of Don't Ask, Don't Tell in 2008. And then in 2009, I spoke at the federal court building down in Cincinnati as well as here in Dayton. And because of all that work... And being the only retired military member on the board, I was asked to represent PFLAG at President Obama's signing on the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell in, Don't, in December of 2010. That was certainly the highlight of my work at the National. But what was meaningful for you? I mean, you were involved. You were a president. You did a lot of work with PFLAG. Well, I think most meaningful for me was the one-on-one -on -one contact. For a lot of years, people who called in the Dayton chapter hotline, their calls were forwarded to our home. And I spoke with some LGBT individuals 
But most of the calls were from parents, I'd say mostly moms, who had just learned that they had a gay child. And they were afraid. They were upset. Sometimes they were angry, but mostly just unsure of what life was going to be like for their child, for them, and even for their whole family. So I tried to share our story and the journey that we had been on, where we were in the beginning, much the same place that they were in, and where we ended up now, and just tried to reassure them that if they talked to their child and listened to their child and were open to understanding that uh, they would have a very happy future together. And throughout the years, several people told me that I had been helpful to them. And that was just really rewarding. So, Dan, where do you think we are now? Oh, there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, As I said on occasion at the PFLAG uh, National Board, allowing same-gender marriage was not the end of the equality fight. There was still no Ohio or federal non-discrimination laws for sexual orientation or gender identity discrimination still exists. But most disappointing to me is the fact that transgender military members have had the right to serve rescinded. Uh, That was really disturbing because after don't ask, don't tell, and then allowing transgender uh, individuals to serve, um, it seemed like that was the end of that fight, but that's been taken away. And as you know, more and more parents are coming to PFLAG to help with their transgender children or nonconforming children a lot of questions being asked there. Well, obviously, you and I are no longer afraid to speak out. We're here, and we're going to continue speaking out as long as it takes. Dan and Nancy Tepfer speaking about their longtime involvement with PFLAG. The couple applauded the recent Supreme Court decision on LGBT employment rights, but say the fight continues in areas of housing, public accommodations, and the military. I'm Jerry Kenny. Thanks for joining us this Sunday morning as we wrap up Pride Month by giving voice to Dayton's LGBT community. We've got more stories and conversations coming your way. Stay with us. Hi, this is Luke Dennis from the WISO team. I'd like to thank our current business supporters for hanging in there with us. If your business would like to support our programs, your message will be delivered to a diverse and loyal audience. That is, you. We recognize the impact that COVID-19 is having on local businesses. To show our support, we have created special WISO Cares business support packages. They include added value spots and discounted web advertising. Details are on our website under the support tab. Thanks. Hi, I'm Eric Henry, local musician, blues fan, and host of the newest program here on WYSO, The Blues Revival. Meet me Sunday afternoons for a journey through time, blues time. Like the old cats say, if you don't dig the blues, you got to have a hole in your soul. Nobody wants that. Now I know that your love is real. Welcome back to Wiseau Weekend on WYSO. I'm Jerry Kenny. 
John Gant and Scott Didier have been together for over 20 years, and both men have spent that time in service to Dayton's LGBT community. John was the first openly gay man to serve on the city's Human Relations Council. Scott also served on the board of the council, and both of them worked with city leaders to develop Dayton's anti-discrimination ordinance covering sexual orientation and gender identity. John was instrumental in building Dayton's annual Pride celebration from an annual sit-down dinner into a weekend series of public events that attract several thousand people each year now. But in this conversation, it's the family they've created together that's their source of pride. John, um, one of the things that that made you win over my heart was I remember when we first started dating and you had told me on one of our first dates, you're like, Scott, I've got to tell you something. I've got kids. If you have, and my kids are everything. And if you have a problem with that, we might as well not even go on any further. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, well, one, what kind of a toad would I be if I said no? And that also made me endear to you a little bit more. Well, I remember after you met my kids and you thought it was pretty cool. And you even talked to me one time about maybe we should adopt a kid for ourselves. And <laughs> I said, well, let's just wait for grandkids. <laughs> yes. John says, I've already done my duty. You're right. I remember that. Well, how did you feel about going from literally no family on your side of the family to a huge family on my side of the family? A little overwhelming. It was a little overwhelming. I remember the first Gantt family reunion I went with you. We walked into the meeting hall, and as soon as we walked in, I saw so many people, not not to mention the fact showing up at your family's function as your gay husband was something I was totally not prepared for in rural Versailles. Well, I know uh, in your family, your mom kind of knew you were gay, but my parents neither one knew. I waited until after they were both gone before I even came out. And why is that? Because I, they would have felt they failed. Word. They wouldn't have understood. And what about your, all of your brothers and sisters now? Oh, they, they're all accepting now. They, uh, they said if, if dad would know you as a queer, he would have killed you. You so, said your dad was born in the 1800s, right? 1897. Yeah. You know, I consider ourselves pretty lucky, too, with the way things worked out and all the family living next door to us. How do you like that? I, I'm very fortunate to have the family that I've been married into, and I've been thankful that they've been so accepting of me. But we also had a lot of changes in our family, too, um, with a lot of grandchildren being born. And unfortunately, uh, the death of your youngest son, our my stepson, um, who served in the military. How How did that affect you as far as the work you're doing with the LGBT Center and the involvement in Dayton? Well, I I really can't talk about it yet. (laughs) Is that bad? I understand that. I understand that. But at the same time, we have to celebrate the fact that we are lucky enough to be surrounded by a whole group of loving family members and kids and little ones and all of our friends in the gay community and there, Lori and I, a lot of times, we found a stereotypical behavior of, of exes and, and, and new spouses, and we were a little catty the first couple of years that we, we knew each other, and I think she was having some issues dealing with the fact that her ex-husband was gay too. But since then, I think the fact that I know I respect her so much because she's such a good mom, and I think she respects me so much because she knows I have the best interest of her kids and grandkids in mind too, that we've kind of grown together. Um, I remember that at Kyle's memorial service during his funeral, Lori and I were in a – we were in the receiving line next to each other. And it, was the, it was the longest day of in our lives for all of us, I know. 
but I, but Lori and I embraced each other a number of times and, and, and got through that day with each other's help. And I think that set an example for all of our families too. Never in my wildest dreams, being a young gay man in Miami County, did I ever think that one, I would ever find my prince. Um, but I never thought that I would have the family that I've got. And I was I was lucky and I consider myself blessed all the time that I met you and that it's worked out for us. Um, the fact that we we have similar backgrounds, I think, helps a little bit. But also the fact that, you know, you're you're a kindred spirit, I think. And um, I always hope to find that one person that I would want to live with forever and die beside. And and, and you're it. Sorry. <laughs> well, Scott, I, I feel the same way quite a bit. I mean, after I got divorced and came out, I just wanted to find someone that I could share my life with. And you fit that bill. And, you know, what's the alternatives out there? <laughs> <laughs> that was John Gant and Scott Didier. The couple says in the last 20 years, there have been many ups and downs in both family life and in the work they've done for LGBT rights. But it's the shared goals and mutual respect for each other that have kept their relationship strong. When gay marriage was legalized in New York State in 2011, Joyce Gibbs and Janice James decided to drive there from Dayton to get married, knowing that their union would not be recognized back home in Ohio. But that changed in 2015 when the U.S. Supreme Court recognized same-sex marriage as a legal human right. In this conversation, Joyce and Janice talk about how life was before that historic Supreme Court ruling and then how their whole world changed. I know what it's like for heterosexual people to talk about their weddings and share stories of their weddings and put pictures of their weddings on their desks at work. And for gay people, there is this subtle undercurrent among some people in the population that they don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about your wedding. You can be gay, just don't put it in my face. Um, The other piece of not being able to legally marry that struck me over and over again is the financial security that comes from marriage. The fact that if you're not allowed to marry and your significant other dies, you have no access to that person's social security. You can't inherit money from them without paying inheritance taxes because they're not considered your spouse. So for all those reasons, that's it's really important. That right to marriage is huge. And I want you to talk a little bit about, Janice, what happened on June 26, 2015, when gay marriage became the law of the land Mm -hmm. as a result of the Supreme Court ruling. I was at work, and I had been refreshing my browser, (laughs) waiting for uh, for the decision to come from the Supreme Court. And when I saw that the Supreme Court had upheld uh, gay marriage as the law of the land, I was just almost in a stupor. I I I just kind of wandered the halls. I, I wanted to go screaming and shouting and and celebrating, but I, I couldn't and I didn't. And I just kind of um, just kind of was in a stupor. I didn't know what to do. I, I wanted to get to you, but you were at work. And uh, again, that that night, it was it was just another amazing affirming situation. So how did how were you impacted, Joyce? I I was at work. And I sat right next to a gay man, 
And we were doing the same thing you were doing. We kept refreshing the browser to see. He was he was looking at SCOTUS blog, the Supreme Court blog. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I was looking over his shoulder. And then I had to go to a meeting. It was a huge meeting. First meeting I was ever in with the vice president of marketing. I was in the marketing department at this organization. And there were probably about 15 or 20 other people. Only two people in that room knew I lived with another woman. One person in that room knew I was married to another woman. So before the meeting got started, there was a lot of chatter, and and people were checking their cell phones and going, Okay, what's going on now? What's going on now? And then finally somebody said, okay, it's it's finished. And, and somebody else said, what? What's finished? Gay marriage is the law of the land. And all of a sudden the room was just buzzing and people were talking about it in generalities and they were talking about what that might mean and how San Francisco was going to explode that weekend. And I'm sitting there thinking, this affects me personally. This affects me personally. They're talking about it like it's out there somewhere that's – And all of a sudden, I felt my body rise up out of the chair. And I'm not the kind of person who does this. I held my left hand up in the air with my ring finger up in the air, and I said, this affects me personally, folks. Janice and I got married October 7th, 2011, at New York City. And and then I thought, holy crap, what did I just do? (laughs) (laughs) And the room stopped, and people were all staring at me, and I'm still standing up, and I'm gathering my papers together, and my hands are shaking, and the woman who's vice president of marketing said, you just found out that your marriage is legal, and you're sitting in a marketing meeting? (laughs) And I said, I'm going to go now, and I might be back, and I might not. I knew it was going to come out, just pour out of me, and that I had to get out of there, and so I just went home got my things together, and I went home. And I can't get over how much I just cried that day. I cried and cried and cried. And I didn't quite understand why I was crying so much. Maybe relief, I don't know. But I remember reading the next day in the newspaper a quote from a woman, a lesbian, who said, I never knew how much it hurt until it stopped hurting. And maybe that's maybe that's why I was crying so much. I don't I still, honest to God, don't know. Joyce Gibbs and Janice James. The couple says they've experienced some tough times, but today they're having fun with the life they share. And that's a wrap for this week's program. I'm Jerry Kenny. Thanks so much to Dan and Nancy, John and Scott, and Joyce and Janice for sharing their stories with us. Always remember that WISO takes pride in giving voice to our community, our nation, and our world. Join us for WISO Weekend next Sunday morning at 10. Coming up, Vic McCunis with The Book Nook.